The following broadcast is released under a Creative Commons license. I believe in Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. I believe He lived and died, and that He rose again. I believe and trust in Him. Ascended into hell, Christ our living head will one day come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe and trust in Him. I will trust in my Redeemer, sing of His love that lasts. Pastor Yeshua. You've been listening to Creed by Richard Jensen from his album, Order of Service. By way of introduction, pastor is an acrostic which stands for preaching all salvation through one Redeemer. Our Redeemer, Yeshua, Jesus, is the Hebrew name for the Lord. It means Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes Jesus. The English transliteration for Jesus is Jesus. This program deals with apologetics, questions on and about God, the Bible, and the Christian faith. I take questions and seek by Scripture to give answers and encouragement for everyone, including the tough-minded living in today's skeptical society. And now, let's join Pastor Yeshua. Welcome to Pastor Yeshua. In the previous episodes, we began to ask and answer various classic questions about death, hell, and the afterlife. Our goal was and is to provide correct definitions and a biblical worldview framework from which we can biblically define and understand various words and terms commonly used regarding death, hell, and the afterlife, which oftentimes cause some people confusion. More importantly, Our goal is to allow God's truth and reality to provide tangible hope and joy for our eternal future for those who would by His grace be called to do so. In the previous episode, we identified 14 terms for definition and discussion. We have already defined and discussed the term death. In this episode, we continue our questions as well as the definitions and discussion of the remaining 13 terms, including the intermediate state, sleep, grave, Sheol, Hades, Gehenna, Tartarus, 
paradise, Abraham's bosom, hell, purgatory, lake of fire, and heaven. Number two, the intermediate state. The intermediate state is a term classically used to describe a period of time and or a place which exists immediately upon physical death of the body and which generally lasts until the final state of reward or punishment referred to by various names still to be discussed such as heaven or hell as well as other names. The intermediate state has been debated as to its existence as well as to its definition. While we cannot find the actual term, quote, intermediate state, unquote, in the Bible, it is nonetheless clear that the Bible repeatedly makes reference to various situations of the physical body and or the soul slash spirit which can be characterized within the umbrella of the doctrine of the intermediate state. Now, from the atheist and secular humanist standpoint, the general assumption is that all that is and all that matters is the here and now, the present. We are born as a result of accident, random process, and or evolution. The present has no meaning other than whatever meaning we assign to it according to the dictates of what is right in our own eyes, and or a mixture of consensus and opinion within the culture of the moment. Other philosophies, such as those of the Eastern religions, such as Buddhism and Hinduism, would suggest that existence, life, death, and all other issues are simply an illusion, and the goal is basically to realize the existence of the illusion so as to thereby ostensibly escape the illusion. Still others, as was mentioned in the first episode, believe that man's soul or spirit goes to sleep, becomes innate, or is annihilated from existence. As was demonstrated from Scripture, these beliefs run contrary to the clear teachings of God's revelation. However, from the historical Judeo-Christian perspective and worldview as found in the Bible, we can only understand and give context to the existence and definition of the intermediate state when we place it into the larger context of God's redemptive plan. Now, you might ask, what is the reality of God's redemptive plan? Well, what the Bible reveals is that A... Man's existence consists of man being given life as his special creation of God made in the image of God. B. Man's spirit and or soul are eternal from the inception of God giving life at conception. C. The fall in Genesis 3 brought with it sin and rebellion as the nature of man. D. Sin and rebellion create separation from fellowship with God. E. Sin, rebellion, and separation cause death. F. Death is defined in two ways. One, the death of every human's physical body. And two, the inability of the soul-slash-spirit of man to 
fellowship, please, or have a relationship with God due to our fallen nature of sin and rebellion. G. The spirit and or soul of every man lives on consciously forever in some condition after the death of the physical body. And finally, H. This condition after death is referred to generally as the intermediate state. Regarding the intermediate state, at this point we must step back and look at the larger picture of God's redemptive plan. As you will recall, we learned that scripture, i.e. the Bible, is an encyclopedia of 66 books by 40 authors, all inspired to reveal God's progressive plan of redemption. Think of it like building a house. We have the completed plans for the house, but the house is not built based upon the plans alone. We can pour the foundation, but we are not complete. We can put up the rough 2x4 framework, but we are still not complete. We are only complete when all of the details contained in the plan are finished and the house is livable. Perhaps only the foreman has seen the completed plans and only gives the actual workers a small piece of the details necessary to complete what they are doing at any time. Thus, for the workers, the work is progressive, both in knowledge and outcome. They know that a house is being built, and they know day-to-day what they are doing at any moment, but they don't see the whole picture until they are finished and they are beholding the work accomplished. Such is the case for God's redemptive plan. Only God has the blueprints and knew from before creation what his completed work was because he is also at the conclusion as well as personally present and available in every moment in between. So it is with the condition of man. The redemptive condition of man is under construction from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22. From God's perspective, God sees progression from what we have caused in Genesis 3 to his solution at Calvary and to his consummation in Revelation 22. We are prone to label such progression as change, but the change is according to God's sovereign will to accomplish his foreordained purpose. When it comes to the intermediate state, we must recognize that death and the intermediate state were are, and will be affected by the state of where God's redemptive plan is in time. As we look at the overall timeline of soteriology revealed within God's Word, we can observe the following generalizations regarding the intermediate state. A. From Genesis 3 and prior to John chapter 19 verse 30, where Jesus announced that, quote, it is finished, unquote, The fate of man's spirit and soul was different than post-John chapter 19, verse 30. We know that according to Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all have sinned. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 tells us that the wages of sin is death, meaning our just deserts for what we all do by nature is to die. 
Isaiah 59 verse 2 tells us that our sin creates separation between us and God. Finally, we know that we can only be reconciled to fellowship with God by the finished work and imputed righteousness of Jesus made possible by his crucifixion, death, and resurrection. As a result, we would have to conclude that prior to Jesus' finished work at Calvary, the intermediate state, or condition of every man's spirit-slash-soul was different at physical death than after Jesus' finished work at Calvary. B. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, and other verses also make it clear that whether we are talking prior to, during, or after Calvary, that without faith it is impossible to please God. As a practical matter, James chapter 2, verse 18, and other verses clarify that true faith will produce tangible fruit demonstrating the reality of God's indwelling Holy Spirit implanted within us via the new birth. Thus, a faith that is alive and works will be alive with works of faith. In the end, the works are the evidence of faith and salvation, not the basis for salvation. The critical thing to bear in mind is that God sees sincere faith in him as the factor which determines the fate of man's soul-slash-spirit. As a result, we can generally conclude that whether before, during, or after Calvary, that by God's grace, a specific sustained faith and or confidence in God, despite what we or others think or believe is possible, will affect the intermediate state of man's soul-slash-spirit. C. Beginning with John chapter 19, verse 30, when Jesus finished and completed his work at Calvary, the intermediate state of man's soul and spirit changed. The first indication of this change comes from Jesus himself. In Luke chapter 23, verse 42, we learn that a thief who is crucified along Jesus confesses faith in Jesus as Lord, saying, quote, And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom, unquote. Thus we have the fact that the thief met the qualifications of point A above in that he was an admitted sinner, i.e. a thief. Second, the thief met the qualifications of point B above, since clearly God drew him to the confession of point A, as well as faith in Jesus as Lord. Consequently, Jesus responds to the thief, declaring, quote, And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Unquote. As God's revelation progresses, we learn in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, quote, We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Unquote. 
Conversely, we learn in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, quote, Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, unquote. Here again, the goal of being, quote, present with the Lord, unquote, once absent from the body, i.e. death of the physical body, is predicated on the same fundamental faith assertions made by the thief. The ability to be present in an abiding relationship, a fellowship throughout eternity, is contingent on the focal point of redemptive history, that being Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Hence, prior to Jesus' crucifixion, even those who exercised faith would have died and been in some condition of waiting until Jesus' resurrection to claim the completed rewards in question. In any case, we see that Scripture teaches that the dynamic of man's intermediate state changed at the focal point of Calvary. By summary, we should see that there is a before and after situation surrounding Christ's atoning work on the cross. After Genesis 3 and before John 19 verse 30, we have eventual physical death as well as a state of spiritual death, i.e. separation from fellowship with God. Thus, the historic Judeo-Christian understanding according to the progressive revelation of God's word was that upon physical death, the body would go into the grave and the soul-slash-spirit would go into the intermediate state labeled under various names until the parameters changed in John 19, verse 30. After John 19, 30, the historic apostolic Christian understanding according to further progressive revelation of God's word was that physical death would continue for all, but the fate of man's soul-slash-spirit, i.e. the intermediate state, was to change and would be bifurcated into two directions. In both cases, the direction and outcome was and is determined by each person's standing in or relationship with Jesus Christ as follows. 1. Those who have been sincerely drawn by the grace of God to repentance, reconciliation, fellowship, and an abiding relationship by faith in the finished work and imputed righteousness of Jesus as Lord, God, Savior, and King. These may physically die, but upon physical death their soul and or spirit go immediately upon death to be present with God in eternity with all joy and no more sorrow according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 6 through 8 and others. 2. Those who ultimately reject Christ and his atoning work remain under the blanket curse of sin and the fall. Faith in and a relationship with Jesus and his finished work and or an abiding faith in God's covering grace is the only way to restore fellowship with God. 
A relationship with Jesus Christ through faith is the only way to quicken our soul slash spirit which is dead in sin. Therefore, those who reject Christ and or God's covering grace through faith will have the physical death of their body, and then, whether before John 19 verse 30 or after, when they die, their soul slash spirit will continue in the intermediate state until the final judgment. Now you say, that's an interesting theory, but do you have any scriptural cooperation? Well, let's examine some scriptural references which in part or in whole substantiate the theories and ideas already espoused. Bear in mind some of the scriptures use vocabulary terms which we have not discussed as yet. I don't wish to get distracted by the meanings of these terms, but rather simply to understand that the terms represent the larger concept that within the Old and New Testaments, there was an acceptance and belief based on God's progressive revelation of the intermediate state. Although previously mentioned, Luke chapter 23 verses 24 through 43 referring to the exchange between Jesus and the thief during the crucifixion uh, are a good example. Quote, And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Unquote. Bear in mind that this conversation took place before Jesus and the thief died. Second, we read the account in John chapter 20, verse 17, where Mary encounters the risen Jesus on Sunday. Quote, Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father, and your Father, and to my God, and your God, unquote. So we know that both Jesus and the thief died physically the same day. We also know that Jesus promised the thief that they would both be together today. We also know that Jesus did not ascend to the Father until Sunday, three days later. Thus, if we are going to reconcile the two issues, take Jesus literally, and today means today, then we must entertain the presence of an intermediate state. We get a further confirmation of this theory in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8-10. through 10. Quote, Wherefore he saith, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Unquote. So here, Paul is classically understood to be talking about Jesus. To paraphrase, when Jesus ascended to the Father, post John chapter 20, verse 17, Jesus led some group who were in captivity at the time 
into a state of captivity different or separate from the original captivity. Paul then elaborates using logic and states that Jesus, the same one who ascended, is the same one who first descended into the lower parts of the earth. It is also clear that, quote, descending into the lower parts of the earth, unquote, cannot be euphemized as Jesus merely dying and being buried in the tomb for three days. The reason is that lying in a tomb, being dead, or simply being buried is not by itself capable of leading anyone anywhere. In order for Jesus to be able to lead someone from one state of captivity to another, Jesus has to be alive and conscious in one form or another, or all we're talking about is meaningless poetry. 1 Peter chapter 13, verse 18 and 19 elaborates further on the matter. Quote, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, but being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, unquote. Here, Peter refers to Jesus suffering for sins and being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, which can only be a reference to Jesus' crucifixion, death, and resurrection. Peter links this event, saying, quote, By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Unquote. So, in other words, Jesus used the occasion of his crucifixion and death to preach unto the spirits in prison. Philippians chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. Quote, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father, unquote. Once again, Paul talks about the crucifixion as the subject of what Jesus has accomplished. Paul goes on to say, by virtue of the crucifixion and what Jesus accomplished, i.e., God has exalted Christ. Specifically, God the Father bestowed God the Son, Jesus, with a, quote, name, unquote, and a, quote, title, unquote. Lord, in the Greek, kurios, i.e. master, he to whom a person or thing belongs, and which he has power of deciding. As a result of which, among other things, every knee should bow, including things in heaven, in earth, and things under the earth. Now, when we say Jesus is Lord of all, we can treat this as a euphemism or generic term. We can also project the term as a factual matter as a title meant for his final victory somewhere in Revelation and beyond. 
But it is also possible to factually say by Christ descending into the lower parts of the earth, as revealed in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, and 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, that when Christ led those in captivity free to ascend with him to the Father, that Christ literally became Lord of things under the earth, i.e. the intermediate state. Next we have Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, quote, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen, and have the keys of hell and of death. Unquote. Here, Jesus reveals to the Apostle John more about Christ's identity, saying that he, i.e., Jesus, is the one who lived, died, and is now alive forevermore. Another clear reference to Jesus' eternal existence is incarnation and physical life on earth as fully God and fully man, his physical death upon being crucified, and his resurrection to eternal life. Immediately following, he reveals that he has the keys of hell and death. The original word translated keys is better translated Quote, the one who is keeper, or who has authority to open, unlock, and or shut, unquote. Without getting caught up regarding the words hell and death, we can still correctly draw the conclusion that Jesus is dying, descending into the lower parts of the earth, and subsequently leading those in captivity free to ascend with him to the Father, would qualify Jesus as having the authority, i.e. the keys, to open and release those in captivity in the intermediate state. As one can see, beginning with Jesus, the New Testament writers had the understanding that there was an intermediate state where the soul-slash-spirit of men who had physically died from Genesis 3 until John chapter 19, verse 30, were kept. When Jesus died, the above verses teach that Jesus' spirit descended to this intermediate state where he preached some message to those other spirits who were in captivity. Some or all of these spirits believed whatever message Jesus gave to them and they followed him as he led them to his eventual ascension to the Father. Further, it should be observed that this doctrine, sometimes referred to by the Latin phrase descensus ad inferos, translated descent into the lower places, is not limited to the New Testament. This is important because there are some who would like to accuse or infer that the New Testament gospels and or epistles were compromised by the church or some other well-meaning persons to reflect the doctrines or teachings of some later time. However, we see that, in fact, we can search the Old Testament and find references to Christ's descent into the lower places, or the intermediate state, which amount to prophecy 100 or more years before Christ was born, and which became part of the revelation which the New Testament writers then quoted, in part, 
or in whole. For example, as we look, we see the following. Psalm chapter 68, verse 18. Quote, Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men, yea, for the rebellious also, that the Lord God might dwell among them, unquote. This verse in Psalms is actually a prophecy regarding Jesus' descent and ascent, which Paul quotes in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. The fact that this is a quote is confirmed by the preamble of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, which says, quote, Wherefore he saith, unquote. In this case, the he is the psalmist who wrote Psalm chapter 68, verse 18. Lastly, in Psalm chapter 107, verse 8 through 16, quote, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of a God and condemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and break their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder, unquote. Once again, the bringing them out of darkness and the shadow of death, as well as the breaking of the gates of brass and cutting the bars of iron, are all distinctive Jewish cultural and literary euphemisms which are synonymous with Christ descending into the lower parts of the earth and setting those in captivity free from the intermediate state to ascend with him and be present with the Father. These and other verses clearly reveal the foundation for the reality of the intermediate state. Further, they reveal that there was a change in the intermediate state for those people who died in faith in God prior to Jesus' atonement. Moving forward from Jesus' atonement, it would also represent a change for those who have and will die who have their faith in Jesus' finished work of atonement on Calvary. Finally, the question is, what does the intermediate state look like? What do we call it? Where is it? We can see, looking throughout the Bible, that the intermediate state is a reality. The question is, does the Bible specifically label and describe the nature and or location of the intermediate state, as well as the final state? Thus, as we move forward in episodes to follow, we will continue to look at the various words and terms used in the Old and New Testament to see what 
If any clarity we can give to the intermediate and final state of man's body, soul, and or spirit throughout the redemptive process and history of God's plan. For the time being, this concludes this episode. Please join me for part four. Now, if you have any questions about God, the Bible, or the Christian faith, I encourage you to send me an email at pastor underscore Yeshua at yahoo.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R underscore Y-E-S-H-U-A at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening. The world.